as we cover many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons. Are you ready to get jacked up? Are you with us? Then listen on. the show everyone and once again we got a special guest got robert katrini beloved actor voice dubbing artist and short film producer he's been in movies such as fdr american badass new york heartbeat 2015's kidnapped and let it bleed and jack reacher 2 tv credits include nypd blue ally mcbill ncis rosalia and isles and most recently bosch and preacher welcome to the show sir oh thank you thanks for having me where are you located, by the way? I am in the crazy place that is Dallas, Texas. <laughs> oh, oh. So that's a two-hour difference, right? Yeah. And I was always seeing you posting a lot of the cool Louisiana and New York-based yeah. actor groups. And I was like, yeah, man, this guy has been in everything. You know, <laughs> Birds of Prey, Homeland, and recurring guest on Jimmy Kimmel. And just always sharing some cool tips on the making of movies so. <laughs> yeah new orleans has been very good to uh, very good to my wife and myself uh, okay. uh totally yeah, a, lot of, a lot of newbies don't realize uh how much is actually done in new orleans uh, it's pretty yeah totally everyone acts like it's just like one of the ncis shows it's like no there's it's still a big film and music scene always will be <laughs> no thank thank god for tax credits so right uh, absolutely. You so, know, you have a hundred million dollar film. State is particular state is going to offer you thirty percent back or thirty three percent back. How fast can we pack the trucks? <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh man. And the kicker is, you don't even have to bring everybody. You just bring the cast and your your DP and his crew and everybody else. Uh, you can hire them all. in New Orleans, Baton Rouge, Atlanta. They've all got uh, Albuquerque. They've all got rock solid. Even Dallas, uh, Austin. They all totally. have solid, uh, highly talented crews that you just hire on the spot. So if you want to just film with your phone, just all you got to worry about now is lighting and sound. You know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, who is it, Stephen? Uh, I'm drawing up like a second. Stephen Soderbergh. Soderbergh. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it was the last movie he did. The one before that, within the past three or four years, he shot the entire thing on his iPhone. Yeah, and it's really a shame that it just takes, again, just famous people to make people realize it or just a special, you know, corporate article. And it's just like, 
these tools are all here. You got to be creative. You got to decide how much you're, it's kind of like when you're bidding on eBay for lack of a better con- contrast. Yeah. If you, you got to decide how much you're willing to pay and how much time you actually want to spend on this versus, yeah. uh, I, I'm not sure what you think. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of which, you know, I was actually very familiar with you in a bunch of various TV movies and indie films, you know, Kiss So oh. Deadly and, you know, I mentioned New York Heartbeat, but even Carmen the Champion. And wow, it's been been a minute. I know. (laughs) uh, I'm just really impressed with how you just crossed over. Um, uh, Do you ever get uh, mixed up with uh, what's his name from Flashpoint and Yellowstone, uh, Hugh Dillon? Uh, On occasion. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I, I tell you what I've gotten a lot of since the very beginning I've gotten a lot of Bruce Willis yeah there were a couple of, uh, he had a poster out he had a one sheet out for I forget what film he was doing but my wife pointed it out and when I looked at it I said yeah you know holy moly <laughs> oh that angle that lighting you know what? That could that actually could be me. Well, I mean, you put the two of us next to each other, and you know, we don't, we're not twins, obviously. But it was something about that one sheet, and I said, "Oh my God!" I said, "You're, you're right." She said, "Of course, look at it right there. That could be you." Said, oh, I'm not going to contact IMDb and debate the issue. I'm just like Bruce. You're right. I was not in that Die Hard six thousand. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh my God. So, well, so here we are. Here we are. Uh, when did you decide you were going to make this your life? It just kind of happened naturally, or was it by accident? No, uh, 1993. Um, my wife and I had moved from New York to uh, South Florida, <clears throat> and we opened up a, a delicatessen. And I, I had never said anything to anyone in my life, no family members, not even to Peg, uh, that <clears throat> um, I, I wanted to, to act. Uh, in my teens and uh, 20s, up to middle to late 20s, a uh, musician had my own band. We played all around uh, the Bronx and New York and, and whatnot. Sweet. Uh, so, yeah, I was used to being on stage, but... I'd never done a, a theatrical production. Um, my dad died when I was 10 on the oldest. Oh, no. And um, I, movies were always huge to me. I, I would just take entire weekends. We lived in Brooklyn. And I would take uh, just all day Saturday and many times all day Sunday as well and just go to Manhattan and Times Square at that time. They were just, you know, first run movies up and down. They were every, every four or five feet from each other up and down the entire uh, Broadway uh, area. And uh, that's where I saw Mean Streets. And I, I would also, if I didn't go there, uh, in Flatbush, in Brooklyn, up at the intersection of Flatbush, Bush Avenue and Church Avenue was the RKO Kenmore. And then right around the corner was the Lowe's Kings. Uh, theaters that are very reminiscent of, uh, I mean, these are old style theaters. Uh, the closest I think I would come here in LA is like the Pantages. Uh, when you walk inside, it's just from the, the architecture, the woodwork is spectacular. 
it's it's the, the craftsmanship. You know, it's it's not a modern multiplex where you walk in. It's just you say, wow, whoever put this together, the 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 the, the artisans, carpenters back then in 1920 when they they did all this ornate woodwork and what, and then you walk into the theater itself and it's it's just like a grand metropolis. It's magnificent. Um, Very eye-catching. Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. And uh, I would, you know, I'd go up there and do the double features and I'd go for the RKO Kenmore on a Saturday, whatever it might've been. And then I'd walk over to the Lowe's Kings and do that. And then I forget the name of the theater, but hundred feet away from the low screen. But I, I would just do multiple movies. I'd go into Manhattan and see like three, four, five movies in one day and many repeats. So I had the interest, but my dad died and my mom didn't work. And we, uh, we were being supported by uh, my mom's family, my grandmother and my mom's sisters, my aunts. So I remember taking out Stanislavski's book and reading it when I was, I think, probably 18. And I, I don't know, it was just something, I knew I could do this, but uh, went to the actor's studio. I remember standing out front, looking up at the door and thinking, this doesn't even make any sense for me to mention this to anybody because my family doesn't have the money to, you know, get me into the actor's studio. You know, and we're talking about the time when, you know, Paul Newman and Brando and, I mean, just... It doesn't happen overnight. Cassavetes <laughs> and, and Peter Falk. I know, like, wow, these were like my idols. I, uh, Robert Mitchum, like, there's no way, but we can't afford it. Little did I know, it's free. All you, all you had to do was audition to get in. Same work. I didn't know that at the time. So I never said anything. And... Uh, Eventually, time went on, and we played around the Bronx and uh, all over. Uh, very popular band, two different bands I was in. And I would sing, I sang uh, many of the lead vocals, uh, bass guitarist. Uh, I chose that. Um, and then uh, started working in the food industry, supermarkets, Bethmark supermarkets up in New York, big new supermarket chain in the uh, tri-state area. Uh, and that's where I met Peg. And... Um, from there, we just, uh, we, we, we had a lot of family. I had a lot of family in South Florida. And uh, we went to visit them a couple of times and just different vacations we took around the country, including New Orleans. Uh, fortunately, we were both of the same mind. And however the conversation came about, but I know my attitude was, Every place we've seen, every place we've driven, you know, I-95 all the way from New York down to Miami, et cetera. I don't want to spend the rest of my life in New York. I really don't. Um, and she agreed. She said, neither do I. So we, uh, we packed up and moved to South Florida, Palm Beach County, opened up a delicatessen. And uh, it was going well. Uh, opened it from scratch. And um, one night, uh, closed the store with very long hours, 10, 12 hour days every day, sometimes 13 or 14, um, decided to go to the movies. We closed the store, I think it was 10 o'clock and 
went to one of these uh, dollar movies, you know, if, if, where, where the, the dollar movies got the, uh, the films that had already been out for six or seven months in the primary theaters, and now they're still trying to move every penny they can out of them, so they send them to the dollar movies. And that was the only thing that was really open. And we went to see a Steven Seagal movie called Out for Justice. And we're tired. You know, there's not that many people in the theater, maybe, maybe 40, 50 people in the theater, from what I remember. And what I didn't know at the time were called opening credits. A name comes up and it's, uh, it, it's a fellow who, I don't want to say, it, it's a fellow who was a stand-up comic. In, sweet. in the Catskill Mountains. And I knew him. And I, I, I didn't know he was an actor. And his name came up and I literally bolted upright in my seat and I blurted out his name and Peg, her head snapped around like Linda Blair and the Exorcist. And she's like, <laughs> what? And heads in the theater were all turning around because I literally, I mean, it just goes, and I blurted it out and suddenly from being... I'm not even sure if I'm going to stay awake for this whole thing. I'm wide awake. And I'm watching it, and I'm thinking, wow, this is... Uh, I'm half watching the movie and half thinking to myself, I, I'm i going to have to say something to her. <laughs> Just something, uh, anything. <laughs> <laughs> so we get outside, and we no sooner step out the door, she looks at me and says, what the heck was that? And because she's in, in, in the theater, she said, you know, what is that? And I kind of like, no, shh, shh, hold, stay there. Don't say anything. <laughs> so we get outside and I said, what would you, I didn't even tell her why I said it. I just said, what would you say if I decided to change careers and become an actor? And um, <laughs> she's having to put two and two together. And you're like, hey, an idol I recognize has made it. Yeah. You know, if they can do it, so can I. And you're well, I, I didn't even get that far to explain what I did in Solid and who I was, why I'm even having this conversation or saying what I'm saying now. Uh, it was just, what was that? I said, what, what would you think if I changed careers and wanted to become an actor? And we already have a successful business. I mean, we moved across the country, spent you know, $100,000, whatever it was at the time, to, to open up the store. But... I have to admit, to her credit, Peg didn't even bat an eyelash. She just thought for like a, a, a heartbeat and said, I, I think you'd be great. She had no reason to doubt you. She's just like, yeah, it was kind okay, of like, whatever else you need. Like a little dead silence there. And I'm looking at her and I said, really? She said, yeah, really. What, what, what would you have to do? And of course, in retrospect, when she says that, of course, my mind is, is thinking, now, what, what do I have to do? But now I, I'm, I can see that conversation. I can see the spot outside the theater in my head. Just like it happened yesterday. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm saying to myself now, and I have over the years just thinking back, how unbelievable is it that she did not say, what the hell are you talking about? We, yeah. Exactly. She, she, it was nothing like that. I said, I think you'd be great. What what do you think you'd have to do? And uh, we had a girl working for us, uh, Teresa, who was uh, (laughs) 
I was always fond of saying Teresa was, uh, Teresa was not a hippie. She was a beatnik. She was pre-hippie. She was like back during the Dobie Gillis TV show days. That's what she, before hate Ashbury, that, that's what Teresa, she just wore the, the most Greenwich Village free spirit type of clothing. You, you'd look at her and say, okay, she's not the CEO of the company, but I tell you what, boy, she, I bet you she can make a hell of a, she can draw a hell of a painting because that is an artistic person. I said, I bet you Teresa knows somebody. I go in the next day, Teresa, I, uh, but what if I wanted to do, uh, I, I need a, a drama coach. Oh, yeah, 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 boss. Uh, my brother's, uh, he's involved with you. I'll, I'll get a name for you. And it uh, took about two weeks and she gives me the name of uh, Jewel de Pianelli down in Fort Lauderdale. Um, my brother said, this is, this is who you got to see. I said, okay. Uh, he picks everyone's I, brain in the town. And he's like, yeah, who am I to question? I, I don't know anybody in the, in the uh, performing arts and in, 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 uh, uh, in anywhere in my area where we've already been living. We got went down there in '87, uh, so you know we've already been there uh, five, six years. I'm other than going to rock concerts at the Miami Arena. You know, what do I know? And uh, I made a phone call and. Uh, Woman on the phone said, yeah, come on down, order the class. Um, I leave back at the store. I go down to me and five women. And this little, uh, this little ball of uh, energy walks in the room with the beret off to the <laughs> side. And I was sure she came off, you know, uh, uh, Christopher Street in, in, in Greenwich Village. And she says, hi, my name is Gigi. What's your name? I said, I'm... Bob Katrini said, oh, what do you do? I said, I, 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 uh, I want a delicatessen up in, in Boynton Beach. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, everybody on the stage, you know, me and five women. I, I didn't know how big these classes were. Yeah. And uh, we get up there and we do what uh, I learned were called theater games. And then everybody sits down. Sweet. She sent everybody up there one at a time to do what they call the coffin monologue. And uh, she explained what it was. She said, there's a, there's a little stool in the middle of the stage. She said, so there's a coffin monologue. You're going to see in your mind somebody in a coffin before you. They could be alive. They could be a past. doesn't make any difference. There's something, there are things that you needed to tell them that you never did. And now is your chance. And I want you to see that. And I'm going to walk you through it. I'll be asking you some questions. And when I say seen, you keep that thought in your mind, but you're going to recite Mary had a little lamb. That's, those are the words I want coming out of your mouth with the, uh, with the image in your mind of your loved one, friend, family member, whatever, laying before you in the funeral home. And uh, it was fascinating. I, I didn't know anything about this. And um, the four women went up, uh, five women went up and did it. She says, oh, okay, Bob, you too. And I said, no, 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 no. I, I'm, hey, I'm just here to look. I, I, what do I know? I'm not. And she said, uh, not in my class, you know, get up there. And I did. I took a shot, got up there and uh, took about a minute and a half. She pushed all my buttons. <laughs> got me exactly, got me exactly where she wanted me. And then said, seeing, 
And I did it. And uh, that was the end of the class. And she came over to me. She said, uh, listen, I, I don't know what it is you're doing, but if you give this up, you're a fool. Nice. I have been teaching acting for many years, and I'm telling you right now, you have a bona fide shot at actually making a career out of this. Do not walk away from this. This is your calling. I don't care what you're doing. You own a business? I said, yeah. Doesn't make any difference. What I'm seeing here is you can make a career out of this. So I started studying with her for two times a week, uh, two years, and then went on an audition, first audition, um, which is a whole other <laughs> amazing story. Never been on an audition. Book, book, book the first role I ever read, which was Petruchio in Taming of the Shrew. Because uh, among other things, I never even told Peg about all the little voices that I was throwing around inside my head and dialects that I could do. So I guess it was it was uh, it was a revelation to not only you know my wife but my mother, my brothers. Like where, where, where is all this coming from? I mean, he used to sing lead with the bands uh, that he was in on stage, but you know, no one knew that he could talk. Like, like uh, no one knew he could do a cockney. You know, like right street, right? You know, right? And, and all that he could possibly play, you know. Uh, They're getting your comfort levels up and just yeah. kind of letting you vent for a minute and just awesome. realize you feel comfortable doing this. Well, I, I did them all in my head, but I just never vocalized it. You know, there's this uh, everything from slug, motivation, form of KTV, everything to, you know, like a foreign Irish, you know. Um, I get, I've played, I've got called on to do a, quite a bit of Scottish, you know. Uh, You've you, you got you, you to be able to do it conversationally, you know. So, <laughs> so all of this started to come out and uh, I booked the first 14 roles that I auditioned for. They were all on stage. And at some point, Gilda uh, said to me, uh, you got to go. There's nothing left for you here. And uh, you're gonna have to join SAG. And in my mind, I kind of, I was leading in the direction of, yeah, I think I can make a career out of this, but you know, my, my family is like, they're beating me. My mother is beating me to death. What are you doing? Okay, I can see if you want to just use it as a creative outlet, but you're going to sell the business and what? Move to Los Angeles? Oh my God, what are you talking um They were kind of viewing it as just an outdated profession, kind of like, would you say, I guess, an older mindset where it was viewed as just no different than well, surface you know, rank or prostitution? You know, there were other people in my family, uh, cousins and whatnot, and, and just friends who, to, to be an actor, you know, you could do it if it's a creative outlet. You know, there are people who paint creatively, but they still have a nine to five job that's paying all the bills. Um, and there are friends, and you know them, I'm, I'm sure as well, we all do, friends yeah. who, uh, uh, they, they, 
you call yourself an actor and I respect that, but there's a difference in doing it to release your creative inhibitions and as opposed to having it pay all the bills. Right. That's, that's when you're talking serious commitment because you're not doing anything else. This is what you're going to do and you're going to concentrate on this and not do anything else. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, I just decided to go pro. We sold the business. Uh, again, Peg was, she was right there. She didn't, she didn't, there was no, there was no marital wall that I was hitting. You know, I, she was just on board. She said, okay, what, what do we have to do? This is what you want to do. What do we have to do? And I said, I don't want to make a career out of this. I want to, uh, I want to do it. And, uh, of course, one of the, the things that, and unfortunately, this is, I, I use the word reality a lot, especially with newbies who, uh, you know, back at Gilda's school, she's still my mentor. Uh, they'll reach out to me and they, they all have questions that are understandable. And I would never dissuade anybody from coming into this profession, but there are things that are my opinion. And then there are things that are reality that are not just my opinion, but it's the way things are and nothing is going to change that. And the example I use is, uh, I've told them all is uh, gravity. You may not know about gravity. You may know about gravity and not, uh, but not agree with it. You may not like it, but one thing's for certain, that apple is going to fall from that tree 100% of the time and hit the ground, whether you like it, know about it, care about it, or whatever. That's a reality. And there are some things in this business you need to understand. 100 and, it's 160, 170,000 maybe members of Screen Actors Guild on any given day today, right? While we're talking. Right. Considering, considering everything that's on cable, every streaming network, maybe four or five, 6,000 actors working just today alone. Maybe right. even at this day, yeah, 24 seven, that's including day players and extras. Exactly, factoring in day players and, uh, uh, hell, I'll even kick in background. Yeah. You, maybe, uh, and you're talking, again, all the streaming networks and, and everyone who's doing uh, original content, uh, MTV's doing original content. I mean, you know, um, that's still 95, 96% unemployment rate. <laughs> no matter how you cut it, those yeah. are the numbers. It's not my opinion, but I do have to let you know new actors know, just so you know. I'm not trying to talk you out of it, but I'd rather give you this information up front so that in the event something happens in your future a couple of years down the road, you don't then realize and wish you knew what, what I'm about to tell you now. In, in light of what I'm about to tell you, if you still want to go for it, hey, take a shot. Look at me, for God's sakes, I mean, you know. Um, Without naming anyone, do you, did you encounter occasional people who just, they had the talent, but just no maturity, and they just kind of vanished after a while, and you're just like, well, it, well they probably didn't take it all that seriously. Yeah. There are things that 
here's another story. When I was back in South Florida, first of all, I didn't want to come out here to LA. I knew I had to come out to LA, but I didn't want to come out to LA until I did Law and Order. I wanted to guest star in Law and Order. So uh, it took 13 months, two separate trips, one six months and then one eight months, I believe, uh, going back to New York and sleeping on the floor of uh, my mother's studio apartment out on Long Island. And it took me 13 months to get into Reed. Booked it on the first shot, and coincidentally booked Cosby the same week. The only other thing at the time in New York City was a Spin City with Michael J. Fox and Barry Bottswell, and I didn't want to wait around for that. Sopranos hadn't started up yet. Uh, once I had that under my belt, um, I, I, I'm a I'm a huge, huge proponent of. I don't want to make it sound simplistic and say positive thinking. Um, positive affirmations, positive visualization. As I've told, uh, again, all the newbies, I said, you have to see yourself. I know this sounds like it's so ethereal and existential. You have to see yourself in your mind, literally every day on a movie set, on a TV, on a film set. So you have to see that. So well, Michael Jordan standing at the three-point line, uh, you know, make, ready to make a three-pointer, the foul line, he sees the arc of that ball. He's just not saying, oh, the ball's here, I need to get it there. He can see it in his mind. You know, Jack Nichols has, uh, Nicholas has said, when he's on the tee and he looks down the fairway, and he's not the only golfer, he can see the arc of the ball exactly where it's going to go. He can see it from when he hits it, how it's going to go up in the air down there, and it's going to land right over there. It's creative visuals. You have to see it in your mind. And um, I, I am a huge promoter of that. There were friends, I had quite a few friends uh, back there who were, took the shot and came to LA. And there seemed to be this question. I've told this so many times before. There seemed to be this question that uh, went around and it seemed to be that the answer that they all got to the question, this question that they were asking. I almost, I actually started to joke about it at one point back then. I said, what are you, all these people, have you all gotten together in a room and you decided that's the answer you're all gonna give to that question before you go to LA? The question was, uh, people would ask him, so hey, uh, Frank, uh, so you're going out to LA, how long are you going out for? That's the question. <laughs> the answer always was, I don't know, you know, three years, five years, three, four, five years. No, see seven thousand. <laughs> yeah. And it was all the same question, the same same question, and the same answer. First of all, I didn't understand the question; it made no sense to me. And the answer definitely made no sense to me. So when I my team came to come out, hey Bobby, hey you going to L.A.? You know how long are you going out for? I said, what do you mean how long, Bob? I'm not, I'm not coming back. Right. No, 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 I, no. I get what you're saying, but no, seriously, like, how, how long are you going out for? You know, I'm not coming back. I've made a commitment here. I, I will do this, and I, this is verbatim. I said, I will do this or I will die. I will die trying to do this. I'm not coming back. I'm going to be part of that community, and I'm just not coming back. Uh, they looked at me with the same <laughs> level of incredulity that they did when I said, uh, Oh, yeah, I'm not going out there unless I, uh, I'm already represented by an agent in LA. And uh, this is where, you know, we just, 
you really got to just have faith in your own beliefs. I had never even been to LA. So naturally, everyone, including my family, <laughs> all the other students in Jyotis Classic. So you've never been there. You don't know anybody there. Right. You're not, you're not going out until you have an agent out there. I said, yeah. Uh, how are you going to do that? I said, uh, honestly, I don't know. I mean, I... I got I determination. I, I got confidence, but I, I don't know how to. They say, yeah, but you, but you've never been there. You don't even know anybody. I, yeah, I. Well, you know what's his name's been out there for six months. He still can't get an agent, and he and he's there. He said, I, I don't know how it's going to happen. So, what happened was, I go back to New York, sleeping on my mom's floor, taking casting director workshops in Manhattan. Casting director, oh God, I cannot think of his name. He took his workshop. What year was this? I'm sorry? What, what, what year was this? Sorry. Uh, he uh, calls me after his workshop, after a workshop that I took with him. And uh, I get back out to my mother, and I guess he asked the uh, owner of the, the business. I think it was Bunny Levine who ran the, uh, that, that place in Manhattan. And... Um, Gets my phone number and I get back out uh, to Long Island. My mother says, You got a phone call from, uh, and I'm like, Oh, casting director. Whoa, nice. Um, I call him back. God, I can't think of his name. He says, Listen, um, I got an agent coming here from LA tomorrow, uh, Lisa Linda Liebling. Her and her husband Adam own Acme Talent Literary in LA. They're opening up a New York office. She's going to be here tomorrow. I, I, I think she needs to meet you. Uh, hey, absolutely. I go in the next day, I meet Lisa, and uh, has me do my monologue, puts me through my paces, had me do my monologue like six or seven different ways. And I was not prepared for, but I knew, I understood what she was, and I nailed it every single time. I changed it every single time. I did... Uh, what year was this, by the way? I'm sorry? What, what, what year was this, by the way? Oh, uh, this was... This would be 96, uh, hold okay. on. I can tell you exactly. Let me punch this up. <laughs> see more voting, okay, let's see. See more, I'm on my Facebook page here. Oh, not Facebook, uh, IMDB, see all past television. This would be in, Nineteen ninety-eight. There you go. Cosby and Law and Order. I yeah, back to back. Nineteen. I booked them a week apart. They aired a week apart in uh, nineteen in the uh, uh, in ninety-eight. Yeah, I shot it in nineteen ninety-seven, and they both aired uh, in January. One January seventh and one January twelfth, a week apart. So, uh, yeah, uh, she she. I, I did the. Uh, if you remember the movie Other People's Money, Danny nice. DeVito's speech to the uh, stockholders, and I did that. And she had me. Oh, okay, now that was great. That was great. I liked that. Now do it again. No, not do it like you're talking to a two-year-old. <laughs> exactly. You know, like. Uh... 
nobody's ever asked me, but I, I, I got it. I said, I, I took it as a challenge and I was thinking, yeah, I like that two-year-old. And I did it. He said, okay, I, I love that. That was great. That was great. Now do it again. Uh, now, now I'm like, you're, uh, don't do it like you're talking to your wife in bed. I'm like, wow. Okay. <laughs> and I'm rearranging my mind. And at the end, she said, uh, call me tomorrow. She said, I, I think you might be able to do some business. I'll go home and next day I call and uh, casting director says, congratulations, you're, uh, you're represented in New York and Los Angeles. And that's how it happened. So Sweet. everybody who said, how are you going to do that? It's impossible. You know? I went, uh, went back down to South Florida for two months of R&R and uh, backed up the car and drove to Los Angeles. And uh, when I got here, I was already represented by one hell of an agency from the second I crossed the state line. And uh, yeah. Sweet. Have you ever been tempted to teach some, like be an acting workshop guest or? Well, a couple of years went by. And, uh, not too many actually, only three or four years. Jilda called and said, listen, would you consider coming back here and teaching a master class on auditioning? Nice. And I said, immediately, I said, well, I, 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 hey, well, absolutely, I'm more than happy to do it. I, I don't know if I would, I don't know if I would put the word master class on it. I said, I don't consider myself a teacher, but... Uh, you just got into this, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I can answer. I can definitely show somebody how to audition and what to expect technically when they walk in the room. Because remember, back then, yeah, it was not digital. I mean, they were popping... Casting, casting directors were popping, you know, videotapes into their their big cameras, you know. Right. So, um, yeah, but I explained how to, uh, you know, okay, slate your name. And I literally had to explain things that, like, when they say that, don't start speaking right away because, and here's why, because, and I had a videotape, like a VHS tape in my hand, because this door has to open when they push record, this door has to open, the tape has to be pulled out. And if you just start speaking right away, you're going to, Cut first part of your name off. So just give it a second, and then, oh, little technical things like that. And uh, it was supposed to be a two-hour workshop. Uh, I walked. I walked in. She has a ninety-nine-seat theater. I walked in, uh, and she's hugging me. Oh, thank you so much. I said, of course. What are you kidding me? I, I but the life I'm living right now in, in Los Angeles is because of you. I'll do anything you need me to do. She opens the door, and I step in. And it is wall to wall. It's standing room only. And I looked at it. I said, Jesus Christ. Gee, you told me to read for a couple of your students. He said, what, what did you do? She, uh, she said, you said you were going to call a couple of your students in. She said, yeah, I know. I called them all. And they heard you were going to be here. And they showed up. Like, holy shit. So anyway, supposed to be two hours. Started at 8 o'clock. Uh, we ended up going till 2 o'clock in the morning. The questions were nonstop, and uh, I answered everything. And uh, I went back one one other time, uh, several years later, to uh, do another one. And uh, yeah, I, I, I like to help actors. I, I don't know if I'm, I, I just don't feel that like I'm like an acting teacher, you know, but 
But when I'm seeing, when I'm watching somebody do a scene, and I know exactly what's wrong with it, I can correct that and tell, okay, let's look at it this way. How about if you approach this from the, yeah, 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 which is why I want to direct and uh, more producing. Um, yeah, and, and by the way, when I came out, when I drove across country, um, I crossed the California border October 1st, 1998. Um, very often I'll hear actors, different talents say, you know, what they've sacrificed in their life just to get wherever they are, whatever level it is, whether it's impressive or, you know, still struggling, whatever it is. And, uh, <laughs> and I, I say, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's sacrificing. Let me tell you what I sacrificed. I drove out here by myself. Oh, Peg wasn't with you? I said, no, Peg, Peg's dad was in dire physical condition and her job and everything. Uh, I drove out here by myself and rented a room in a, uh, a condo in North Hollywood that a uh, friend of mine had set up for me back east, uh, knew somebody out here. And uh, I'm in North Hollywood. Peg and I saw each other once a year for six years before she was able to move out. And that usually pretty stops the conversation, pretty much stops the conversation in the room. So she flew out once a year during a vacation and I flew back there once. Uh, and when she was finally ready, and believe me, my mother was, my mother had me on the ropes, like Tyson every night. What the hell are you doing? What are you, I said, Ma, we're not separated. This is what I need to do. And Peg knows it. She told me, she said, go out there and get the career going. As soon as I can get out there, I will. We didn't know it was going to take that long. I had no idea. Um, but again, to her credit, you know, here I am saying, I got to go to LA and, and get the career started. The agency is waiting for me. I, 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 I've, I've, I've done everything I can here on this coast. Right. All he had to say was, no way. You're not going out there without. No, you go. You, you leave now. We're done. She didn't. She said, we're going to work this out. You go out there, get the career started, and we're going to work this out. And don't let anybody tell you any different. And she wasn't even able to move out until like late 93, 90, early 94. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know any other woman I've ever met, family, friends, whatever, that would have said that with that level of conviction. It wasn't even, a, well, yeah, maybe we can do it. It was a straight out conviction. You go out there, do what you need to do. You and I, we're solid. We're going to get through this. So, uh, yeah, that's why anytime anybody you know pays me any kind of compliment at all or anything that I do, I just say, go over there and thank her because uh, I couldn't have done it. Uh, I wouldn't even be here. I wouldn't have this resume. I wouldn't have any of it if, if it wasn't for her. There you go. That's deep. <laughs> uh, what do you also just do to just kind of lighten the mood once in a while? Just realize, okay, it's a slower month and you know, got this amount of gigs. 
this amount of time uh, when you're just trying to navigate and roles you would prefer are coming in or aren't coming in, but work is still pretty active. You ever have, everyone's got months like those, but how do you handle it? <laughs> um, it's, the late Carmine Caridi, we, we used to do a lunch at, uh, um, in West Hollywood every Monday. Uh, they called it the Goomba lunch. As you get, Carmine Carrillo was like the godfather. He sits at the head of the table and you put all the tables together. You'd have uh, Bobby Costanza, Joe Cortez, um, you know, all, all, all the character actors, all Italians. And Carmine made a statement uh, one day, and he's absolutely right. He said, you know, this, this business, if you do not have thick skin, find something else to do. If you can't handle rejection after rejection after rejection, and not five or six or seven, you know, could be hundreds, um, find something else to do, because this isn't a business for you. It's just not. You have to be able to handle rejection. Um, the representation that you have, you know, and, Everybody needs, everybody, you have to have an agent. You have to have some sort of representation. Manager, I've had several managers over the years. I have one right now that I just, uh, her and I decided to collaborate since November when I let my, I, I released my last agent from responsibility of representing me. And uh, my manager has been in the business 22, 23 years, knows everybody. And uh, right out of the gate, it started to get me uh, um, started putting me in the mix, put it that way. And uh, for roles that uh, I'm like, yeah, okay. No, we talk. I mean, I, I, I've done well, but she's, and what I appreciate about her is uh, something I've never had with any other manager. Uh, we talk almost every day. She calls me almost every, if not every day, every other day or every three days. But she's always called just, okay, this is where we stand. This is what I'm doing. And uh, yes, I've already reached out to Taylor, uh, Taylor Sheridan and uh, yada, yada, yada. And uh, I said, well, what about law? And I want to go back and do law. Okay, no problem. You know, I'll get Jonathan, Krause, uh, Jonathan Strauss a call. Oh, okay. As a matter of fact, she said, well, let me just call Dick Wolf. Uh, nice. Oh, uh, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, why don't you do, why don't you do that? Whatever you got to do. <laughs> but uh, yeah, your connections, uh, your, your agents' connections and your representatives' connections certainly go a long way. Uh, that being it said. They might turn down certain casting directors versus other ones, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, when I got out, by the way, uh, I, the casting director workshops in, in Manhattan were so, um, were so beneficial. Um, I know that there are many actors that, that still refer to them as classes. Well, they're not classes, you know, uh, and others who have uh, uh, degraded them to a degree by saying, well, you know what? It's a paid audition. Um, yeah, I'm not going to argue with that. I'm really not. I came out here. Uh, Bunny, Green in Manhattan said we have a, 
sister workshop out in uh, LA. Uh, we're not connected financially. We just uh, we're, we're just friends. Go see uh, Robin out at the yada yada yada. I get out here. Uh, I'm here a week. I'm settled in. I make an appointment. I go over. I audition for this casting director workshop in Studio City. I get in, and I started booking right away. Um, there were other actors who would say, you know, yeah, but that's a paid audition. I say, you know what? Here's the way I look at it. Um, it's cost of doing business. I'm paying for headshots. I'm paying for this. I'm paying for that. I'm paying for postage. I'm paying for gas and all, all these other things that I'm, I'm paying for uh, to maintain a career. I, the casting director that's there tonight, well, not, not tonight, I mean back then, whoever it is tonight, pick a name, male, female, whatever. My agent might get me into audition for him or her uh, tomorrow. I don't know. Maybe next week, maybe next month, maybe never. I don't know. Um, but one thing I do know, for 25 bucks, she gets to see my magic act tonight. And she will pay attention because she's going to give me a singing she's going to give me anyway if I'm auditioning and I'm going to hit it out of the park. And at one point I can honestly say that 95, 96% of my resume was from casting director workshops. And there were still actors who were just so, they would, they, they claimed they were taking the moral high road because you shouldn't have to pay for auditions. I said, yeah, I don't disagree with you. All I'm saying is for me personally, I don't have a problem laying out 25 bucks or 30 bucks. In a difference versus other ones, it's kind of an investment. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. For me, it's an investment because, again, you know, you do a job once, residuals come in forever. So, you know, I mean, if you want to take, uh, when I first read for Scott Jenkins, NYPD Blue, it was only, actually, I was out here two weeks. No, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I was out here four weeks. And Peg's vacation came up. She actually flew out and stayed with me, you know, in my room, in this uh, upstairs room, in this uh, three-bedroom condo in North Hollywood. And she's only out here for the weekend. And, and she lands on a Friday. I pick her up at the airport. And she's never been to L.A. before. And I said, uh, on the way, way back to my room, I said, by the way, it is... Uh, a workshop I want to take tomorrow. She looked at me like, really? Said, you know, I'm only here for the weekend. I said, this is important. This is the casting director for NYPD Blue. She said, oh, okay. Um, we got up. <laughs> it was sold out. Let me start by saying that. <laughs> so I said, okay, you know what they do have? They have standby. Meaning, if you get there early enough and put your name down, somebody doesn't show up, you get in. Workshop, right. Workshops not till like one o'clock in the afternoon. We get up early. We drive over <laughs> Studio City, and um, which was a I mean, North Hollywood. It's, it's they're right next to each other. I'm there at nine o'clock in the morning when the building opens up. I walk in. I'm like, oh man, I'm gonna be. My name is gonna be. I walk in. There's already an actress sitting there. She already had her name down, and I looked at her and I said, "You have got to be kidding." I thought I was good. Wow. You, you beat me? I'm four hours ahead of time. I'm really impressed. 
So I put my name down. Now I'm second on the list. I get back into the car and she says, what happened? I said, eh, maybe we'll go to a movie. I said, it's, I'm second on the list. Uh, I'm not going to get in. I come back at one o'clock. Sure enough, two people don't show up. We There's did. always one incident and you never know. <laughs> and you never know. Scott hands out, hands me 12 pages from the then defunct uh, uh, Stephen Botchko said he was in Brooklyn. Oh God, it was a Brooklyn was in the name. I can't think of what the TV show was. Brooklyn, Brooklyn South. Uh, Brooklyn South, yeah. It had gone off, and I'm got. So anyway, uh, I memorized like a demon. Forty-five minutes, and I'm off book. Uh, I walk in, and right from the outset, you know, I pull up a chair next to his table, right up to his table, and I drop my, and I don't even look at the sides. And Scott's only like two feet away from me on the other side of the table, and he's got to look down and read his sides. And when I get to the edge of my, end of my page, I know I'm at the end of my page. I'm, even though I'm not looking, I'm looking at him, I'm doing the scene with him, and he's glancing down, he's got this little smirk on his face, like, how the hell is this guy doing? I can read his mind. It's like, He's not even looking at the side. And I would just reach down and flip the page of my sides, which was the correct, and he's looking over at me and looking down at the bottom of his bit. And I could read his mind, I could tell what was happening. At the end of it, he says, how the hell did you do that? I said, I, I just memorized quickly. He said, I, I, I would have promoted you for series regular. Uh, this is a series regular role. And uh, over the next year and a half, he brought me straight to producers seven times. Uh, kept bringing me back straight to producers. And uh, the sixth time, I booked it without a deal memo. And then they decided to go in a different direction. And he called me. And he said, so sorry. He said, I'm bringing you in next week. They just went in a different direction. Sweet. He brings me in the following week, and I booked that one. And that was my first time with BD Blue. And, um, so casting director, uh, CD workshops, regardless of what anybody thinks of them, they worked for me all the time. And at some point in, it was like 2015, right after I booked Jack Reacher, uh, I was stopping, uh, I was going to stop doing them anyway because the resume was, that had already exploded. And a couple of casting directors would walk into, I was going to Real Pros over in uh, Sherman Oaks. And, uh, CD would come in and say, guys, how are you doing? I'm, I'm so-and-so. Just give me one second. Bob, what, what are you even doing here? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't need to see you. Give him his money back. One, one of the monitors came in one time, Jason Kennedy's workshop, and he said, I was always in the back row in the very corner. That was my seat. I never sat up front. Always just sit in the back and just... Did what I needed to do. It was all about the work. Comes in and sits down and says, hey, Bob, 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 listen, Jason just saw your headshot. He said, go in there and tell Katrina you go home. I don't need to see his work. I know exactly what he's going to do. And he's, he's solid with me. Give his money back. I said, oh, well, okay, thank you. And, and I'd leave. So uh, after a couple of workshops uh, at that point in time, a couple of them would just kind of wave me over and say, uh, very quietly, stop taking these. Like, really? I just wanted to remind you what, no, Bob, we know exactly what you can do. 
don't, it looks like you're begging for work. And I said, yeah, but I'm not. They said, exactly. You're not begging for work. Look at the resume. We know exactly what you do. We don't have to do these anymore. And uh, it was just at that time that uh, I had gotten, uh, I had already put myself on tape for Reacher. And uh, it was a day or two later that I got a phone call. Uh, yeah, you're going to New Orleans to meet Ed Zwick. He's already there doing locations. Um, and I go down. I thought, I thought it went well, um, very well as a matter of fact. And three weeks later, Paramount's uh, gonna be a limo outside your house on Thursday afternoon, four o'clock. Uh, they're flying you back to New Orleans. Uh, to, you gotta meet Tom. Um, okay, I'll go back and uh, get to the hotel that night in New Orleans. Eight o'clock the next morning, limo outside, takes me over to uh, another hotel. Uh, I meet Tom, Ed Swick's there, uh, Lee Childs. Uh, at the end of uh, the meeting, you know, Cruz comes over and she hits you with that Cruz smile, shakes your hand and says, we're going to have a lot of fun. And uh, we were looking to buy a house here in Mission Hills in San Fernando Valley at the time. The down payment was a little iffy. So uh, I stepped outside the room and called Peg and said, call the realtors, sign the contract, we, we can buy the house now. <laughs> I have the down payment. Um, Flew me back, uh, went from there straight over to Wardrobe, two hours of Wardrobe, from there back to the airport. Then the next thing I know, we're, uh, you know, we're working with, uh, and co-starring with one of the most bankable actors in the past 40 years. You know? It was fun. Sounds like it. Yeah, Tom, easy overnight. <laughs> Tom treated us like visiting royalty. I mean, he could not have been more uh, a more gracious host. Um, yeah, very, very giving. Uh, just uh, I, I can't say I can't say any, I can't say enough about him. To uh, in spite of what, uh, regardless of what people think of him, uh, that was the way we were treated uh, on set. Um, nice. Yeah. So, anyway. Uh, so, um, do you have any uh, other tips that you often give to your other peers who you know, first become acquaintances with? Well, I'm a huge believer in just never give up, you know? See, that, that's why I never understood that question. Oh, yeah, I'll go out for, uh, or the answer, rather. I'm going to go out there for you know, three, five years, see how it goes. What do you mean, what do you mean you're going to see how it goes? Why are you even bothering to make the journey if you're not, you're not talking about living in Miami and, you know, trying to make a go of it in Fort Lauderdale, you know, 20 miles away. You're, you're moving lock, stock, and barrel across the country. That seems to me to be a commitment. Um, and on top of everything else, how do you know that after three, four, or five years worth of effort, hopefully they did put the effort in. Not dedicated, do don't do it. <laughs> how do you know that it would have taken five years and two months, you know, before you, you caught the break that you were hoping to catch, you know, the day you landed? Uh, because this is a business that 
can literally change your life in one day. You know, one day, you, any other company that you work, any other type of profession, you're going to move up the ranks in that profession, you know, whether it's working with your hands or, or, or your, your mind, uh, you're working for one of the uh, top five, you know, CPA firms in the country. You, you, you're working your way up incrementally. This is a business where you could go from living in your car to $40,000 an episode, you know, because of that audition you went on uh, yesterday. Um, and um, yeah, just I, I just can't see giving up. Never, ever give up. Don't give up. I, I, back in New York, another thing I did with that people thought we were great. My own family thought I was crazy. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of the, you know, buy real estate with no money down. You know, that's, that's a popular concept that's been around for decades. I spent 500 bucks for a weekend way back in the 80s to go for a weekend workshop at, uh, I forget what hotel in Long Island, to understand the concepts. My family literally thought I'd lost my mind. You can't buy real estate with no money. That's ridiculous. And I said, <laughs> I, I'm very curious. I'm willing, I'm willing to invest in this. And, and I'm at the, I call it considered investing. They considered it pissing away 500 bucks. At the end of the weekend, I, I understood the rudiments, but I still needed to do more. So I started to fly around the country for these real estate investment workshops, um, weekends in Chicago, and yada, yada, yada. And finally, one day, back on Long Island, me and the, I was working, I was the, uh, the delicatessen manager in uh, Pathmark Supermarkets. And uh, the produce manager, he was also interested in investing in real estate. We went in as partners and I knew how to do this. He didn't, but I did. And I put the contract together and we bought our first house on Long Island in New York. Didn't cost us a dime out of our pockets. And of course, the second we did that, everyone who said I was crazy, now they want to know how I did it. I say, I, guys, I can't. I, I know 30 different ways to do this. I can't just tell you how I could show you how I did this one. Sold it for an amazing amount of profit. Since then, then we moved to Florida and owned five different rental properties up and down the state. Uh, didn't cost us a dime. And then uh, bought three condos directly across the street from our delicatessen. Um, not only did it not cost us a dime out of our own pockets, but they gave us $56,000 to renovate. And of course, I did my own renovations, and it only cost me half that much. So you walked away pocketed $26,000, which is tax-free because it's a lot of money. And yada, yada, yada. So my point is, I never gave up. I'd always look at something and say, I can do this. And that's the way... The way I looked at the real estate career, and then we get out into California. We, we flipped one up here in uh, in Lancaster, you know, the high desert. 
and walked away with a whole chunk of change. And I'm now now actually looking to do it again. I even put it on my Facebook page today. Um, I'm, I'm looking to buy, renovate, and flip. So I'm going to be working with some realtors out here uh, to uh, to do what I need to do. Um, but I took that mindset. When people told me, it's impossible. How are you going to do that? I know I can do this. And I'm not giving up. I know how to do this. And that's what I tell them. The newbies, well, what do you think I should do? Because the industry has changed. Yes, it has changed. It's always going to change. It is in constant, <laughs> constant flux. Um, oh, what recent example. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, uh, it was a meeting. I was invited to uh, do a Zoom uh, presentation for the uh, class of students at the uh, Los Angeles Film School. This was just about three weeks ago, I think. Yeah. Um, and they asked, you know, how the industry has changed. And I said, one of the most prominent things that I can, off the top of my head, I said, is the way your headshots are presented to casting. When I first got here, um, casting directors would tell you that, so we've got this, the, the, we've got an episode of, let's take one, NCIS or NYPD, right. hard copies with resumes stapled to them are coming in, delivered by couriers who are going around to every agency in LA and they walk, they're, they're, they're literally wheeling in huge mail bins that are packed and, and, and the envelopes are thick because the agents have gone through this breakdown and said, okay, we've got five guys we can put in for this. And there's set. And then you walk into any casting director's office and you can have stacks that are two feet high, three feet high, because the, uh, the, the assistants and associates are whipping through headshots and say, oh yeah, okay, this one looks good. And that goes in. They call the whole list down, throw everything else away. And the people that they have left that they're actually thinking of looking at, because they're going to actually go through these stacks and call them even more. That's the way it used to be done up until what, 10, 10 years ago. Um, Something like that. We're on a computer now. There, there are no headshots being delivered anywhere. As a matter of fact, when you show up for an audition, back before COVID, when you show up for an audition, they didn't even want to take your headshot. I always had mine with me, but said, no, no, we have, we have. Um, everything is done online. So headshots, where before they'd have an eight by 10 stapled to a resume. Now I tell actors, forget the three quarter shot where you've got the top of your head here, right at the top. And then it goes down to like your waist or not that, that that's not even really a headshot anymore because when they open up the computer screen in the breakdowns, your headshot is now literally a thumbnail in a row of five or six. One of many across. people and it's got to get exactly. their attention. Exactly. They have to be able to see your, your face. So take the safe by 10 that you're saying, oh yeah, that's a nice shot. That, that, that's nice to send to mom and she can frame that and put it on the mantelpiece. But, but your head in this eight by 10 frame, your head is now only like 
minute, it's tiny at the top. Now put that as a thumbnail on the, t on the, the computer screen, they can't even see your face. They, they know it's a person, but you know, that, but the one next to you, that's a full frame head. His head is filling the entire uh, uh, photo. So little things like that. And of course, all the students, they got it. They're like, oh my God, I never thought of that. I said, yeah. So you have to understand how you are being presented when, you're, when your agents are attempting to market you. And therefore, you need to give your representatives the proper tools to do that. And if your headshots are still three-quarter shots, in my opinion, you're not giving them the proper tools because, uh, oh, I also recommended, I said anytime, Gary Morris, I don't know if he still does them. So Gary used to do uh, little workshops so that actors, and it, it'd have a, a projector and so that actors could actually see, this is what casting sees, that when you're submitted, and I actually went to one, uh, actually went to two, uh, and I and I I got the, I understood. I said I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's not a headshot. That's a three quarter shot. If when yeah. it was when it was a physical entity delivered, that was one thing. But I I have no except that I can read the name under it. I have no idea who that is because the head is so damn small. It's the size of a little pinhead. He said exactly. You now need to rethink the material that you're giving your representatives who you are wanting to promote you in the field. I got it, got it, got it. So yeah, it's changed. And of course, career companies, are, I'm sure they're still in existence delivering something, but they're sure not delivering headshots. Nope. And that's in 10 years. And now look what's happened, by the way, with COVID. You know, you could, you could live in China. <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, I think uh, NCIS, the only one I can think of, Jason Kennedy, Susan, um, if there are others I'm unaware. The only one I'm aware of in the past three, four years where producers and director are still showing up for the auditions. Otherwise, everything else, it's you and the casting director or, or, or an associate and an assistant somebody running a camera, and that's all that's in the room. They give you, you know, they'll tape you and then send it in, and uh, producers will decide, you know, off the tape. COVID hits, and now we learn that uh, we, uh, actors are going to self-tape on their own. Well, we're sending in a tape anyway, so you know what, why do the whole country's on, on lockdown. Why don't you guys do it at home and just send it to us? We're going to send in a tape anyway, so instead of us doing it, because we're not going back to the studio or the office, we're all working from home. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you know, again, pros and cons to that. I personally, I can't wait for, uh, I, I'm hoping that uh, in-house auditions start again, because for me, that was another question I was asked. I'm asking my own questions and for what they were asking me. Um, I just want to, I just want to do my job. I, uh, everyone does. Yeah. I want to, I want to wait in the outer room. 
have my head where I know I need to have my head. When they say, Bobby next, come on in. And I'm ready to rock and roll. When you're self-taping at home, you're not only the talent, you're the casting director, you're the uh, cameraman, <laughs> you're the editor, <laughs> and uh, all of that's gotta be perfect. And uh, it takes a little bit longer. You know, on the, on the flip side of the coin, well, you can do as many takes as you want and just pick the ones you want. But you do have to take on those other jobs as well. So, you know, interesting. Get what you get. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, thank God. Again, Peg. Peg's my reader. I set up, uh, I'm, I'm, it's all right here in my office. Tripod and lights, everything is set up. I, uh, I measure out the, the distance where I'm going to be. Well, I focus it in. Uh, I use a wireless lavalier, and I go come in and just uh, essentially run camera. But what she's doing is essentially turning it on and off, and while she's reading off camera. But uh, that's as close as I can get to doing the technical aspects and just have it ready to go, literally at the push of a button. Nothing else has to be changed, and that way I can concentrate on what I uh, what I need to do. And of course, there's the outlay. Initially, because you're doing self tapes, you have to have some quality equipment, so you can get by with you know you can you can spend you know a thousand dollars and have a very nice setup. But uh, would I like to go back into the office? Yeah, I would. <laughs> but anyway, so how are things in Dallas? God, uh, they're a little chaotic. It's very over political. There's not as many productions happening. They still will occasionally bring something into town just for pickup shots, like the Yellowstone prequel filmed in the star stockyards here in Fort Worth. Oh, okay. But yeah, it it's it's here and there. It's not as consistent as it used to be. They didn't want much filming here, and they just didn't have their whole system figured out either. So it just got to where it was just like, okay, well. You guys better figure something out instead of just acting like, oh, I guess we can't film here. <laughs> yeah. How far? A question. How far is the is the six uh, the four sixes from from Dallas? The forty six. Well, no, the four sixes, the ranch in in Yellowstone. Uh, see, <sighs> he sent uh, they sent Jimmy to the four sixes in Texas to learn how to be a cowboy, and Taylor Sheridan bought the four sixes in Texas. And he's doing a, a, a spin-off called the Four Sixes. Uh, so it's an actual ranch, uh, huge, I think. Looking it, it up now. Guthrie, Texas. Wow. Okay. I, I, I might be wrong, but I think it's second in size only to the King Ranch. So the Four Sixes is a couple hundred thousand acres. He bought the whole thing. So he'll be shooting on his own property at, at a legendary, actual, real-life Texas ranch and he's yeah the money for it yeah <laughs> yeah and the, work, the working title is four sixes so uh you know so how far is that from from you oh very far it, uh, that's past austin you know so oh, okay. oh. <laughs> yeah nowhere in my neck of the woods but it, it's yeah I, I i'm pretty impressed that he was able to get that <laughs> yeah well pretty uh 
Taylor Sheridan right now is 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 what Stephen Botchko and David E. Kelly were, you know, 15, 20 years ago. He's just taking over. You know, Ryan Whipple, what Ryan Murphy's done, you know, same thing. Mega exactly. so many projects, and they're so creative, just very prolific minds. It's it's amazing. I was actually down in uh, Dallas uh, a year and a half ago. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, I got a call. Isaiah Washington, his directorial effort. Corsicana, yeah, is coming out. Corsicana, yeah, Corsicana. And uh, I got a call. Uh, well, Bob, would you like to come down? And, uh, you know, uh, I was invited. And uh, Kevin Gage, who I always wanted to work with, uh, just a, a dear friend. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we both showed up, uh, did one day's work. We were just both invited down. Isaiah was very, very gracious to do it. And um, it was great. I think he's got, uh, I think he's got a heck of a, of a film on his hands. And it's in close to finishing post right now. But, uh, okay. Yeah. And it's a uh, Western? Yeah, Bass Reeves was, I believe, the first uh, black U.S. marshal back in the 1800s. And uh, he's been portrayed in several different productions. Um, I think what, what we want, Peggy and I were watching something. And, oh, my God, I can't think of the actor who I said, oh, he's playing Bess Reeves. Uh, yeah, well, well-known character uh, in, in the West. And uh, this is Isaiah's uh, directorial debut. So, uh, yeah, I was, very, uh, I was very honored to uh, have been called. Uh, and to work with uh, Kevin Gage, uh, who was just, Sweet. yeah, who, who, by the way, still, that's still the best bar fight in, in, in movie history. <laughs> and Kevin Gage and Vin Diesel and knock around guys. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun one. Yeah. He, you get tired, you know, you, you, you become a critic. You can't help but become a critic as you're watching whatever it is you're watching. You know, so you're watching an old John Wayne Western. Well, that was the genre back then. You know, and you say, oh, this isn't a point. This is like a play fight that they're doing just to, you know, to, to get some of the testosterone from the audience up and run. Oh, yeah, John Wayne said, that's not a bar. That's not a fight. Uh, you know, and then realistic westerns come along you know you watch what clint eastwood did you know with the unforgiven or and then you watch deadwood you know you say, oh yeah oh brutal god exactly <laughs> this is this is brutal oh my god and that's probably what you know i, I don't question that that would that's what it was like so here comes knock around guys and uh <laughs> it's uh Kevin and face-to-face with Vin Diesel. And Vin starts to beat the crap out of him and doesn't stop, even when he's down. He, you know, my wife will sit and watch, you know, watch and pick something. And, and the bad guy, the good guys are running from the bad guys and suddenly you're hiding behind the corner and you slap the bad guy with a rug, with a, a shovel, and he goes down and you start running. And my Peg will get to it before me. She'll say, he's out cold for 60 seconds. Why don't you grab the gun before you run away? I have to start laughing. I said, you're right. You know, or the radio car pulls up, the police car pulls up, and the guy's 100 feet down the street, and they get out of the car, and they yell his name. I'm like, no. 
<laughs> no, <how> this works. <laughs> exactly. Of course, they do that because you want to see uh, many, uh, many viewers want to see some sort of a cinematic foot chase. Well, of course, you're not going to say anything until you get up close to them because who wants to, do, you know, run 14 blocks when you're in uh, dress shoes? So all these little things. And then to see this fight, I said, wow, he didn't just hit him. He's down. He's out. And he's going back down and punching the crap out of him. And then he gets up and starts to walk away. And then he comes back and goes down again. And the first time I saw it, I said to think, that's a fight. That's a fight. He didn't just knock him down and just walk away and say it's over. He kept going back and drilling it home. So whenever I see something like that, who that's that I, I many times from my own life, you know, growing up in one of the worst slums in Brooklyn, Ward 7, Bed-Stuy, uh, short for Bedford-Stuyvesant. Uh, it's still a slum, as much as uh, Brooklyn would like to think of itself as being gentrified. There are still some, <laughs> still some very nasty places. But, you know, you look at something that's really realistic, you say, yeah, okay. That's why when Deadwood came out, I mean, hey, what could you say? Oh, my God. This is <laughs> intense. Oh, holy crap. This is, they're not, they're not trying to sugarcoat this in any way. They're no. making every single effort to show you how filthy it was, how, how, you know, wow. Yeah. We went there. <laughs> we, we went there. You know, or eight, hey, I'm not uh, Taylor Sheridan's 1883, you know, it's, uh, it can be tough to watch. Um, it can be really tough, but it's phenomenal, phenomenal series of 10 episodes of, uh, 10 episodes that'll keep your attention. And, and so many times you'll say, oh my God, this is, oh. I remember my first time when I drove out, I did something. And then when Peg was finally ready to come out, I flew back and we drove out together, uh, California. And we left El Paso. And when you leave El Paso, the 10 takes a turn north and goes through uh, you know, the Badlands of New Mexico. Mm -hmm. And not a lot of traffic on the 10 uh, at that point. You're out in the middle of the open desert. And I pulled the car over to the side of the road. I said, get out. I want to show you something. And uh, she got out. And we're standing on the passenger side. The car is behind us. So you get, there's no highway. It's just open desert and sagebrush. And I said, imagine. I said, you like John Wayne Moore? She said, yeah, I love John Wayne Moore. I said, well, this is what it was really like. There's no car behind us. There's no road. It's you, your horse, <laughs> and there's no road signs. You're navigating by the sun where it's coming, where it's rising and setting. You're maybe navigating by the stars at night. There are no hotels. There's no Motel 6. It's you <laughs> here. No. and rattlesnakes out here. And she, for the first time, she looked at me and said, oh, my God. I said, exactly. Now you have a whole new appreciation for the West. <laughs> what they had to go through. I, I mean, it's unbelievable 
we we went to a place I had always wanted to go to, and finally did uh, been there twice in Yuma, uh, three ten to Yuma, the Yuma Territorial Prison. Have you have you ever been there? I have not been there, but I, I have been tempted. <laughs> it's, it's it's a monument and a museum. You can go in, and uh, it, you're you're in probably one of the top two or three hottest during the summer anyway, hottest cities on the planet. Indeed. <laughs> and you it's walk along. It's not something to take lightly. <laughs> exactly. So now, of course, Highway Highway 8 is running right there. Highway 8 is only like 200 feet from, uh, you can see it as you're passing through and you can see, oh, there's a territorial prison up there. Um, no ice. And you're walking through these adobe structures. You're not walking through. You're walking between adobe structures. And you've got a, uh, an iron gate that's only, you know, maybe 30 inches wide, you know, just the size of a normal door. With the iron gate. And you look inside into this little, what could really be considered the size of a walk-in closet. And there are four bunk beds. And you say, oh my God, what could it possibly have been like um, in the 1800s when you're getting sent to the Yuma Territorial Prison? You're in here with three other criminals. There's no air conditioning. There's nothing. And, and it's 115 degrees outside. And right. the shallow creek right over there that water isn't even cool. I, I can't even imagine. That's why, that's why that particular prison was so incredibly feared because, you know, hell, they made, well, they made a movie about it, then they made a remake, The 310 to Yuma. It, it was someplace you did not want to find yourself. Um, I can't even right. imagine how horrific the conditions were. And I'm saying that, you know, in 2022, when I'm standing outside and looking at it, go back 150 years, and those poor guys are like, oh, my God. No so, wonder yeah. they wanted to escape. There's just nothing <laughs> sanitary about it. <laughs> exactly. And even if you did escape, none of this was, none of these highways were around. The skyline of Yuma wasn't there. Where are you going to go? I mean, Where yeah. are you going to go? <laughs> Where are you going to go? It's just one more reason to look at uh, everything we have today in our modern society and say, Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so yeah. So yeah, of course, Scott was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Very, very nice people. Do you have an idea when that might be coming around? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I know Isaiah put something on Instagram. I think he was sitting watching it with the, uh, one of his other producers, I believe. Um, I don't know if the cut is a final cut, but he does uh, send me a private message every now and then, you know, and it's, he says some very gracious things. I'm, I'm deeply appreciative that uh, I just got a phone call out of nowhere. Would you like to come down and, and be in my production? Yeah, thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, here, I'm here now. <laughs> but it will. I will put it on social media uh, this, the minute that I that I find that uh, it's going to be released in whatever form. 
whether it's uh, in theaters or streaming or whatever Isaiah is planning for. I don't know. Okay, very cool. Anyway. Uh, anything else you would care to promote? <laughs> um, you know, well, a couple of things I really can't talk about, NDAs and whatnot. Uh, um, you know, still doing a lot of dubbing, foreign film dubbing for Netflix. So uh, another session tomorrow, one next week, had one two weeks ago. Um, okay. And uh, my manager is, uh, she's rocking and rolling. She's, uh, we've got a couple of, I, I appreciate her. One of the reasons I appreciate it because she forwards me the actual emails uh, from producers and whatnot. And uh, I think that's pretty interesting. When you, you, you learn of who knows your name, you know, and, and who recognize, and know, who knows your work, etc. And it's somebody that you may not necessarily have ever met before. And uh, so, yeah, I appreciate it once you'll, you'll forward me an email. And uh, I think, wow, uh, I didn't even know she knew me. She said, oh, you know, no, she knows your work. It, 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 read it. It's right there. I'm like, yeah, I, I am reading it. <laughs> okay, that's, that's, that's good to know. That's good to know. Yeah. Do you so, have any uh, other favorite co-stars? Um, you know, everybody has treated us exceedingly well. Um, even Peg. Peg's been on many, many, many sets with me. <laughs> I made a joke nice. many, many years ago. <laughs> the only reason anybody hires me is because everybody loves Peg. <laughs> <laughs> We were shooting Jack Reed, your uh, um, unit publicist. She says, so, you know, we're, we're shooting this now. And, uh, we have control of the square, this right here. But everybody across the street on both sides, paparazzi, we have no control over them. So don't be surprised you know, if you see your, uh, uh, your photos somewhere on the internet. Oh, okay. No, didn't think anything of it show up the next day. Just, uh, hey, Robert, did you see the photos? Uh, no. Whoops out, whoops out a ride pad. So there's three, two of you and Tom uh, rehearsing, you know, walking the scene, and one of Peg. I said, really? I said, no kidding. And she's whipping through. And what had happened the first day in between setups, Tom, uh, uh, I think it was on a Wednesday. I remember correctly, but hmm. Spectre, the James Bond movie Spectre was coming out that Friday, two days. And Tom comes over to me and he says, um, hey, Robert, listen, I'm having a private screening tonight over at the hotel. There's only going to be 10, 12 of us. Uh, you know, would you, would you like to come? We're going to watch Spectre. I'm like, wow, yeah, thank you. And then I looked over at Peg sitting in the video village. I said, would you do me a favor? Would you go over and tell her that yourself? And he got, he understood, he hit you with that big crew smile and he walks over and he's, he's telling Peg. So cut to the next day and Sid is scrolling through the pictures. And here's a picture of the back of Peg's head. And if you know Peg, you know it's her. And Cruz walked over to her and he's telling her the invite. And of course, Peg looked up and said, really? And he hit her with that and he has his hand on her shoulder and he's big smile. Paparazzi snapped a picture, 
that one made it into I forget what British was it London Daily News some uh, some outlet in London, and I showed it to all my friends. I said, "See, I told you, everybody loves Peg." That's the only reason I was on the movie. Everybody loves Peg. So cut to nine months later. We wrap in. Uh, they actually brought me back in January of 2016 to reshoot some scenes that, that, that were Ed Zwick had rewritten that were actually better, I thought, than the originals. And uh, anything that can be improved, you know. Yeah, and, and nine. So nine months later, in October, it's about to screen. So we know what the uh, ABC executive who runs the Jimmy Kimmel show with the network, <clears throat> and he calls me and he says. Listen, uh, oh, that night, Paramount at Paramount Studios are having a, a screening of uh, for casting crew. So we're going to that. But he says, yeah, but what we have, he said, Jimmy, uh, Tom's going to be on Jimmy Kimmel to promote. I said, uh, you want to come on? You know, I said, yeah, absolutely. So uh, he meets us outside the, uh, the the lines lining up on Hollywood Boulevard to go to Jimmy. And he comes out and he calls me and Peg in and uh, takes us up to the stage and shows us all over the the backdrop of Jimmy's uh, stage and up to the control booth where the directors are. And, and it looks like, you know, it looks like the control room at NASA. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. Testing, testing, you are on fire. Exactly. It's like, you know, 48 screens or, uh, and he introduced. And you had already been a sketch performer on there before? Uh, no, I had not. I had oh, okay. Not. So that's how, how that led to that. <laughs> right. So John, is, he's introducing us every, Robert come back anytime, yada, yada. So then we go, now he says, let me show you Jimmy's uh, green room. We go down. <laughs> now, I, I used to run major events for Wolfgang Puck Catering. That, oh, sweet. Uh, yeah, way back. Uh, a green room is, you know, like it's, it's just a little tiny room where, you know, they'll set up a couple of cans of, cans of soda or sparkling, whatever it is that you know that that talent prefers. It'd be a little crudite or something like that. He says, where do you see this green room? We go downstairs, <laughs> and there are sofas all over the place, people milling about. There's an open bar. There's a buffet that's like, you know, 15, 20 feet long. And he stops, and he turns around, and he says, what do you think? I said, what do you think about what? He said, this is it. This is the green room. Wait, no, this is, a, this is a nightclub. This is the green room. So... <laughs> so we're down there watching screens of Tom up on the stage. So Tom's getting up to leave, uh, and he's going to be coming down the stairs. And there's got to be a hundred people down there just standing around watching multiple <laughs> monitors in, in this nightclub slash green room. And off the off the uh, down one hallway, a door opens, and out comes Tom's sister Cass, and her sister and uh, another sister. And as they're walking past, working their way through the crowd, I guess ready to meet Tom at the bottom of that stairs so they can vacate the building, Cass looks over and she sees me and Peggy. And she, oh my God, she comes over and, you know, have you all oh, hugging it? Have you seen Tom? I said, no, we haven't seen him. Oh, he's going to be coming down any second now. So Cruz rounds the corner of the staircase. He's coming down another short flight of stairs and he's surrounded by, you know, some bodyguards. And he's three or four steps above the landing, so you're looking out over a sea of heads. And he looks out, and he kind of like gives like a little point to me and Peg. And he comes over and he hugs Peg. And I'm like, 
you know, you remember me? I, I was I, I was the guy like in the movie with you, you know. <laughs> 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 and uh, no, he was very very gentle. He, he came over and he gave me a hug and he said, "Have you seen it yet?" I said, "No, we're on our way over to Paramount right now. I'm going to see the screen." He says, "You're going to love it." He said, "Nice work." He said, "I really got to go now." And then they then they left. But uh, I looked at Peggy after we walked as they're walking out of the building. I said, "See, everybody loves Peg." So that was uh, I I. I I've always enjoyed a good portion of my enjoyment of what I do is being able to have Peg involved in it and uh, in, in the process and 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 reap the rewards and and it, it it really means a lot to me. I couldn't I couldn't do it without her. So anyway, that's just another story. Cool. There you go. In the meantime, uh, were you just doing that? you can enjoy outside of acting that's safe to do. And Well, I'm, I've been a carpenter. Uh, my dad was a master carpenter and I do all my own uh, carpentry as much as I can. Uh, the Harrison Ford technique. Nice. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it's also played a major role in any of the properties that we've flipped. And uh, I was actually interested. Uh, I didn't even know until two weeks ago watching, because uh, um, we were watching uh, another Taylor Sheridan, the, uh, the mayor of Kingstown, Jeremy Renner, and Howard Stern. I'm, I'm watching on YouTube, and he says, so you, you've been renovating houses. And I called Peg, I said, listen to this. And he started with a partner however many years ago, and they still do it today. He said, so even the career that you have, you know, you're still buying and flipping houses. He says, yeah, something I love to do. Side hustle, yeah. A side hustle. I said, well, I can't. I mean, I, I can't deny. I just, I totally understand. I'm, uh, you know, we just bought this house right now last year, on February second, we closed last year, and uh, turnkey, beautiful house, really beautiful house, seriously. But I can't help but, you know, do my own custom trim work, you know. So right now, I'm, I'm pulling off uh, archways and several doorways, and removing the jams. And replacing them with uh, with wood that I have machined and worked on, uh, I, I I like taking a piece of wood and making it look like it's 150 years old. And uh, I'm casing several uh, door jams with that right now, and I'll be putting in some ceiling beams that uh, look the same, and then going out in the back patio by the uh, by the pool and making that whole thing look like uh, an aged Mediterranean villa with wood that has been, with wood that has a massive amount of character and is stained properly. And that's what I do. So I was doing that this morning until I, you know, one thirty. she came out and says, one thirty, you better get ready. I said, okay, so my tools are still out there. I'm going back out there to finish up uh, one piece that I'm uh, machining. It usually takes me about 45 minutes to an hour to, work on one piece to make it look like, uh, you know, woodpeckers have been at it and that it was chopped with an ax and before- Modify it. <laughs> yeah, be before electronic tools came along, the way, the way you had no choice but to build back in the 1800s, there was no electricity. You only had hand tools and uh, <laughs> you, you couldn't, you, you know, you just had barn wood 
And, and I, I like doing that. Uh, also, you know, a lot of other different types of trim too, but yeah, that's what I do. And then I get an audition, you know, I do that. And uh, tomorrow we'll be down in Burbank again, uh, doing another voiceover. Um, so uh, just one last question before you go. How did your doing all the dubbing for a lot of foreign shows that are like on streaming now, how did those come about? People um, really yeah, like just, voiced. Yeah, well, it's interesting because um, my, my voiceover agent, I've had just with my voiceover agent since 06. Um, I, I auditioned a couple years ago for something that, it was totally off the wall. It was, I had to do a beatbox. Beatbox. <laughs> yeah, I had to take this dialogue and do it as a beatbox. And I'm like, okay, this is really interesting. Obviously what I did worked because a month or two later, I get a call that I booked a job had nothing to do with what I auditioned. That was just a test, apparently. Mm -hmm. And I get booked to do, uh, to dub this film. And I get into a studio in Burbank. And uh, they said, hey, Robert, you know, thank you. Oh, it's, thank you for coming. I, well, thank you for having me. You know, I'm used to doing, you know, voiceovers. You walk in, this is the, this is the script. And, uh, you know, for me, I, I've never really spent more than, 15, 20 minutes in a, in a booth, you know, laying down track. I just, I could just get it right away. I said, okay, so uh, I'm going to be doing uh, seven different voices today. I, I, I flipped, uh, this is, you know, pre-COVID. So the engineers are still in the room, uh, the other room. And I said, excuse me, what? what? I said, yeah, we'll get the seven different voices today. I'm like, um, what? <laughs> because you don't get any script. You don't even know what the film is. You have no idea what you're about to do until you get in the room. And the only thing you've signed up into this point is an NDA. You wow. can you can say so. So what am I doing? They say, well, we can't tell you. And this is way back. Now I know not to ask you. What do you mean you can't tell me? Well, they'll tell you when you get there. Like what? No, I'm used to no, 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 no. This is this is all. You, you you'll see when you get there. And now, I'm in the sound booth. I've got a screen in front of me, that they're going to start playing the actual movies in this post production, it, whether it's French, Turkish, Spanish, whatever. And now you have to match your lips in English to what he's saying in French. And your lines are scrolling across the bottom of the screen. And not only that, but I've got to do seven different voices from this film today. And you, you know what it takes? It wasn't, what was it like? I said, it's like, you're not sure if you can swim. And I just dropped you in the water over your head and said, go ahead. Let's see what you got. Because one part of me is like this, like a little panic. Like, what, seven? I, I, well, I, I, wow, I wasn't prepared to do seven. I've got to go into my toolbox and, uh, 
pull out seven different voices, um, different tones, inflections, etc. And you don't know what they're going to be until you finish. Yeah, but, the okay, so, so now pretty much, do you, does that just kind of give you an idea that they just got a general trust in you? Well, that's exactly experience. right, because I, don't, I, I haven't had to, it was only that one audition like four or five years ago. Uh, now it's just an offer, you know, they'll call say, uh, Robert, they want to know if you're available. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't even bother to ask because I know they can't give me any info. And I was, I did one. They're just trying to fill the role. Right. And they need to, they need to have the English version done. And uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, tomorrow I'm booked for over four hours. So I'm assuming, I, I don't know what the voices are going to be. I don't know what the characters are going to be. Um, there could be good guys, bad guys. It could be a baker. It could be a, a taxi driver. I have no idea until it shows up on the screen. It's not even a list when you walk in and say, okay, these are, these are the characters you're going to be doing. You'll see them, you know, in the actual world. No idea. You'll say, okay, this is the first thing we're going to do. And, uh, and you just do it and do it, and they'll give you direction. And, of course, now we've got COVID, so the directors, hmm, directors and producers could be anywhere. They're not in... I'm often over uh, Zoom now. Yeah, yeah uh, it's just me in, in one room and uh, one engineer, you know, running the board behind the glass. And I have no idea what I'm going to be doing tomorrow. I just know that uh, they call and say, hey, would you like to do another one? You got it. Absolutely. And you go in and you do it. So it's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's one of those situations literally where... Again, you know, it's when you're an actor, stage, commercials, theatrical, whatever, you're used to having something to memorize, something to, that you know exactly what will be expected of you when the director says role. This is the complete opposite of that. Not only do you not know they, they, they don't they don't tell you they're just they're getting used to directing you a different way versus you're getting used to just adjusting a different way exactly plus plus it's not only delivering the dialogue but if if the character you're you're reading and this happens all the time if the character you're 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 voicing in english if he's in the middle of a fight you're taking all the punches too <coughs> <laughs> exactly. You're, you're going through all of this so that anybody standing outside the room looking at you, not seeing the screen, would think, okay, that's an epileptic fit. There's no question. <laughs> yeah. No. yeah, call the paramedics because we're going to have to defib him. He's going to pass out any second. And, but you got you have to do that. It's, uh, so, yeah. It's, it's, Did you ever take any improv prior? I just way back, you know, mild improv uh, work back. Uh, work I always back. recommend everyone take it. Uh, like, because ever since I took it in college, I'm so more freeful in like just my decision making. I'm more prompt. And I was oh. never that way. I used to be very stuck up and stubborn and like, oh, well, uh, what do you want to do? I'm like, no, we're <laughs> going to do this and let's just go with it. You know, I just, I, I'm just, free. okay, want to book a flight now? Let's, let's get ready tomorrow. Let's get, let's get our ass on the plane, you know, and just, and just, uh, do you have a, uh, do you think you would recommend anyone else just kind of just do something that just kind of just frees you up so you can just go with the flow and adapt? Without question. 
There is no question about it. Absolutely. Um, Because, I mean, you already had to go just basically on a prompt. (laughs) And everyone's telling you, I don't like what description you got, Gaby. And you're like, this is all I got to go. And I'm just going with my gut. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, uh, you get in there. They'll run the scene for you. It's all a gamble. (laughs) And I get, okay, I I understand the tone of it. Okay, that's what's happening. If it costs Uh, you a $200 plane ticket, that's pretty good compared to costing you a leg or your life. Exactly. Now, any, anything you can do to, uh, I, I tell you what used to, you know, getting back to casting director workshops. So 20 actors in a room, sometimes 22, they never really went more than 22, usually around 20. And anywhere from 20 down, you know, 15. Were. And one of the things I noticed, and I, I'm going to put a figure on this that I used to put on years ago, I'm going to say 85% of the people in that room. I think what a lot of actors, maybe maybe newbies, I would say mostly newbies, what they don't realize is that if you do a scene for casting director and they say, okay, that was great. Okay, now, now do this. Uh, let's try it this way. I think that there's still a mindset out there, unfortunately, where the actor is thinking, oh, oh I screwed up. I, I did it wrong. They don't want to see me. I said, and I keep telling people, no, 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 not at all. They want to see if you can take direction. Yes. <laughs> because you went up there. They gave you the scene. You had 15 minutes of work on it. Now you're up there. You've done it the way you did it. That's what's in your mind that you're going to play it that way. I can't, and I mean for two decades, two and a half decades of workshops and whatnot, you get tired of seeing the casting director, okay, here's what I want you to do. Let's do it again. And the actor does it exactly the same way. And right. I, I've never done it, but I honestly feel like taking that actor on the side and saying, listen, she's not going to bring you in. Um, she just not? wants to see how right. much you can change yourself up. And if you just copy and paste. <laughs> exactly. You did it exactly this. Every single beat was exactly the same. She's not going to bring you in, take a chance on you booking a job, and then you get on the set. And a director has a different idea than you do. But apparently, you can't change. Um, that's called getting fired and an emergency replacement for your character being brought in by somebody else. You need to be able to take direction. Uh, I mean, I, I don't They'll know. have their way with you. They can even edit you out to where you're dubbed by a different actor or you're talking, but they cut away to the other guy who's listening to the person talking, you know, if they just don't like your performance. It's exactly right. If you can't change it, when I did uh, True Blood, you know, I did what I needed to do when I was in the room, and Alan Ball was actually in the room and paid me some very nice compliments before I left. I booked the role. I get on a set, and I'm playing the lawyer who is taking uh, Empire, <laughs> who, who's taking the uh, final, the last will and testament of Eric uh, uh, Alexander uh, Skarsgård, his character. So I do the role. I do exactly what I did during the audition, and it's going over well. Director says, uh, okay, you know, do another one, uh, you know, Robert, excellent, excellent. I do it again. 
And we do another take. And then director and producers come over and say, you know, Bob, we're going to change this up a bit. Um, we need to tell you what happened in the last episode. Uh, Russell Eddington, I guess the name was, the most powerful vampire that ever lived. Last week, on last week's episode, he came up to an, a live reporter from behind, a reporter who was reporting on live TV, and ripped in and ripped out his spine on live TV. And that's why you're taking this uh, Last Woman Testament, because uh, Alexander thinks that he's coming for him now when he's second. And I said, oh, that changes it. He says, yeah, you can't wait to get out of here. Let's, do, let's try that. They gave you the whole scoop of the episode as opposed to here's the only thing you got to worry about. And that is pretty enlightening because I had so many pals that were on independent films, alone micro budget, you know, no yeah. budget movies. And they were pretty bad about only want memorizing their lines. And I, I lost track of how many times as an assistant director on some of those shorts, I was like, you got to read this whole damn thing, buddy. Exactly. Why do I have to, you should already know your backstory, but if you don't even know why you're having this and you're just trying to be cool, it's like, guess what? You know, this isn't CSI where, you know, <laughs> it's all over edited and it doesn't really matter anyway. It's all a music video. It's like, no, you should know that you're, uh, you know, crooked sheriff trying to steal a guy's, uh, a land baron's land or some bullshit or, you know, just exactly a kingpin who's been betrayed by his wife and the someone in the FBI. Right, the more you know about this, the whole story, the more you, you automatically know about your character, which, by the way, is why I also tell people, actors, auditioning is one of the hardest things you can do. Because many times, if you're lucky enough to get the whole uh, uh, script, good for you. But otherwise, you really have no idea what's going on. If they're, if they're kind to some degree, they'll put in you know, the FYI pages to give you a little hint. But other than that, you gotta go with your gut. And many times what you're doing in the audition will not be what they're looking for when you get on the set. Now, again, with the True Blood, we did three takes uh, you know, that way. And then they come over and said, uh, and I think maybe they had just realized it too. I could be wrong, but I think they had, because then they came over and said, okay, so actually this is what happened. So yeah, you, you want to get out of here. I'm not just sitting there calmly, just taking the information and uh, you know, yada, yada, yada. And, and he's giving me the info and I'm writing it down. He says, yeah, you want to get out of there here because if anything shows up, your own life may be. And I, so we did two more takes that way. And they used a combination in the final, uh, in the final it's a multi-camera show, so there you go. Exactly, but it just goes to show you that you know I I I've seen too many instances where static, yeah, sitting in the back of the room saying, oh, "Nope, you didn't change a beat." Yeah, you ever notice the thing they do now on commercials? CBS is the worst at this, where they'll be having like just an ad and then like they zoom in on the same person from the same scene. And it just looks just like a hack job. It's just like, Whoa, uh, that's, I would do that with certain shorts, but again, you know, that's a short, that's not a feature and it does not look good. It, even with 
HD RED cameras, it looks pretty choppy. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Absolutely. Um, you know, as I said earlier, I don't, would never dissuade anyone from coming into the profession, but it is just seeing how it has evolved, um, and especially with COVID. Um, people realize there's some game shows that look really rushed now. It's like you can tell they did not spend yeah. much on the lighting, and it's like, yeah. okay, well, the entertainment value better be there because the production value isn't. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, with COVID, it turns out uh, you can live anywhere. Uh, you don't necessarily have to be, uh, you know, within distance of the casting director's workshop because they're having you, uh, they're having you twit yourself on tape anyway. So that, that was one thing, you know. Um, and hopefully, you know, uh, hopefully people get to the point where, you know, I, I, I don't have to audition for any of these, these dubbings. I just get called and the offer comes in. Um, one way that uh, COVID helped with the, uh, with Kimmel was that, uh, you know, they just, I didn't have to audition anymore. Matter of fact, <laughs> nice. matter of fact I, no, I tell you, matter of fact, I didn't even have to audition for the first one. Um, I hear they're really loyal. Uh, did you get to meet his brother, Jonathan, who organizes a lot of the second unit or used to at least? <laughs> I, no, I don't, I don't think if he was there, I never actually met him. Okay. Uh, so you're meeting more of I that or. Well, when we were at the, the, the thing for uh, where Tom was on the show and we were leaving, uh, we, we saw him downstairs in the green room, um, our, our contact at ABC pointed out uh, the casting director and said, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to know who you are. And uh, yeah, it was a short time after that, I just got a phone call. I said, uh, Robert, we have, uh, we have a piece that uh, we think you're great for. You feel like doing it. And it was the piece with uh, Bob Odenkirk. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I said, uh, yeah, uh, I'd love to. Do you, you know, do you sit? And they said, no, no, no you, you don't have to read. Would, you know, just a straight offer. And that was from Cecilia's office, from the casting office to call me, directly at home. And I said, yeah, absolutely. I'd love to do it. Again, had no idea what to do. They sent, no, I shouldn't say that. They actually sent me a rough idea uh, Mm. of what it was going to be. There was, there was some dialogue there, and I asked how uh, uh, subsequent phone calls to walk in the deal, uh, I asked how you know, married I was to that, and they said, there's, there, there's some leeway there, and that's probably not the final script when you get, to, uh, get down to the studio. But, um, and the script was revised by the time I got there for the job. But yeah, that was something uh, I didn't have to uh, audition for at all. Um, and you're right, they're, they are loyal. Very, very nice people. Extremely nice people. So uh, We need that in our life. <laughs> yeah, we do. I saw you were on the Jamie Kennedy experience. Have you been tempted to do reality shows more, especially with... Oh, that was, yeah, that was, a, that was a trip, Lloyd. That was really a trip. Uh, the one and only time <laughs> I was invited into the writer's room. I did one Jamie Kennedy. I did one episode. It was amazing. Anyway... Uh, I get called to, hey, would you like to do another one? I'm like, yeah. Um, would you like to come into the writer's room? I'm like, hell yeah. And <laughs> I'm in the room and I'm on the side of this long, you know, picture, your, it's a long boardroom table down the middle and 
three, four, five of the writers and everybody's got pens and they're jotting down things. And Jamie is up on the table, walking up and down the middle of the table. And he's, he's just like stream of consciousness. Okay, so what if we did this? And it's exactly what you would expect a writer's room to be. Everybody's bouncing off ideas and uh, off each other and writing down. And out of all of this comes the comedy. And I even, I had a couple of ideas. I go, so, so what if we did this? And I'm looking up at him. He's walking. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, what if we did that? And they're like, yeah, okay. I like that. I like that. And it's this frantic pace. And at the end of it, we came out with, funny stuff and we shot it <laughs> we had a blast we did a couple of those and then a couple of Ashton Kusher's uh, punked which I got because of Jamie Kennedy yeah same directors uh, were doing some punk and they just said uh, call, call Bobby see if he wants to do these and uh, yeah it was it was fun I saw you also played yourself on uh, an episode of Samantha B. <laughs> I how did that come around <laughs> yeah yeah, um, they show type here where we're talking now, you know. <laughs> again, I just got uh, got an offer. They said, Would you like to do that? And it was on Easter Sunday. Oh, wow! Uh, yeah, yeah, I wasn't watching it as much then, I was just watching it here and there. So, <laughs> yeah, they were coming here to you know LA to do, uh, and I was like, Oh, no, 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 guys. You know, you you guys know that I'm 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 hardcore Roman Catholic. I'm an Irish Italian kid from Brooklyn. Um, Easter Sunday's the holiest day of the year, and conversations took place. I said, "How long is it going to take?" And they said, "Maybe a half hour." Nice. <laughs> it's not compared to what it could be. <laughs> what do you think? She said, you know, we'll be at mass early in the morning. And I, I, then I called him back. I said, okay, but I can't do that time frame. I said, because the earliest I can do seven o'clock mass tomorrow. No, we would go to nine o'clock mass. I said, I can do seven o'clock mass and then drive time from church to where you are. And they accommodate, they didn't even have a problem. They said, we'll get back to you right away. And within five minutes, they called back and said, we can do that. I said, okay, in that case, uh, I'll do it. And it only took about a half hour. Um, Sweet. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> it was good. It's always nice to get a phone call and just say, listen, you got the offer. You know, Isaiah said, I'm like, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate it. Yeah, I don't have to read and, for them. Nope, no nope. Unfortunately, you're soon, very soon. You're going to be to the point where I mean, obviously, you already got a demo reel put together, but now you can even just go casually through and just show movie trailers or clips on YouTube that you just so happen to be in. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, my demo reel is 13 minutes long. <laughs> it's on demo reel. That that's what we, I, I've been giving out since I, I learned that from Kevin Cage. Kevin Cage, when we were shooting Corsicana, he says. Bobby, you know what uh, my agent told me? He gave me this website, and I'm on my phone right out there while we're waiting for the car to pick us up. And I dive it in, and I'm like, wow, this is great. This is, yeah, just give them, your, uh, give them that website, and everything's right there. Give them everything. <laughs> slash Robert hyphen Katrini. And uh, you click on that, and the bio's there, the, 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 the reel is there. I'm like, I like this. This is like, you know. Let them worry about the two-minute one, but this one, just give them everything you got. 
Well, it's, 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 it's certainly not everything, but it's, it's just enough. <laughs> just enough. If you can't, if you can't tell that I can do the job you got me in mind for, if you can't tell by watching this, then, uh, okay, give me the audition. I'll do no, I never have fun. <laughs> I do it all the time. Just sent in another one uh, yesterday, this morning, as a matter of fact. Shot it yesterday, edited it, and went to sleep. And uh, it doesn't have to be in until Friday. But I uh, finished the edit, got it in at uh, 9 o'clock this morning. And, uh, it's what we do. It's it's the new way of business. It's what we do. It's new way, yeah. It's a new way. Well, there, thank you so much again for the invitation. Thank you for your time. This was very enlightening to just see, again, just hardworking everyday people in a complex industry. Yeah. It is complex. <laughs> uh, anytime. Uh, give me a shout. Uh, you know, it's not like I have to punch a clock anywhere. So. Absolutely. I, I'll name a bunch of topics for you if you just want to come in and you know, talk about your favorite yeah, band. Hey. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We'll return after these messages. Hey, feeling down? Feeling low? Not enough podcasts about movies in your life? Why not try... They must be destroyed on sight! The new Podcast Cure-All. Sure to get you right with the world and on a path to better living. We have exploitation, we have Italian horror, we have zombies, we have slashers, we have crime films, we have spaghetti westerns, we even have sci-fi and sex comedies. So take a dose of... They must be destroyed on sight! As needed, and let the hosts, Lee Russell, Daniel Harper, Paul Romali, and the odd guest host, Cure What Ails Ya. Warning, may cause atrophy, African consumption, black fever, bone shave, chin puff, colic, cramp colic, Dropsy of the brain, elephantitis, grocer's itch, jaundice, mania, miasma, mortification, palsy, pox disease, rheumatism, scurvy, St. Anthony's fire, summer complaint, and worm fit in some people. Consult a physician before listening. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Uh, necrophilia. Uh, uh, uh. It's a dead issue, man. Don't, don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crude. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in you. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of it. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you should be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything Dude, that kept little history up. doll yeah, popping absolutely. up at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you you know couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped from watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was. How be did a you rough watch one. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. Hey everybody, I'm Corey and I'm Zach. And we're the hosts of Podcasting After Dark, a cast dedicated to late-night horror and sci-fi of the 80s and 90s, 
often found on HBO and Cinemax. You know, the movies your parents didn't want you watching as a kid. You can find us every other week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Stitcher. This is what you want. This is what you get. Greetings, friends. My name is Dean Legero, and I'm the host of the 3324 Podcast. I invite you to join me and my lifelong friend Eric Kuber to come with us as we discuss the music and movies that shaped our life. Each week, we'll pick an album or film that we really connect to and not only give you some great info and trivia, but also discuss, debate, and celebrate what it means to us and the journey it took us on. We also look forward to hearing from you and giving us some of your picks for us to check out and discuss. I think it'll be a really fun experience, so come along with us for the ride. You can find us on your favorite podcast provider, and at 3324.buzzsprout.com. Thanks for your time, and welcome to the 3324 family. It's time, let's check our cue, baby. We love your movies. We love the bad ones, too. So we watch them all and pass their lessons on to you. Oh, yeah. Everything I learned from movies helps to make life a little bit groovy. With a one-last plot holes and gratuitous boobies. It's time to get busy with your friend Steven Izzy. At EILFM.podbean.com. Follow us on the web on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The podcast is available on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Anchor, Apple, and anywhere else podcasts are available. Feel free to review our show and leave comments on any of those sites. Thanks a million for listening. It's a jacked up.